The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and joining me today are two returning guests. First, our senior writer over at U.S. Gamer, Bob Mackey. Hey, it's good to be back on the show. It's good to have you back. And also our favorite contributor, Steve Tramer. Hi, everybody. It is also good to be back. So the reason I have you two on, Steve in particular, is because we're going to talk about RPG mechanics today. And the reason, and in particular, we're going to be talking about turn-based combat in RPGs, kind of what the history is, and kind of this weird thread that seems to be developing that turn-based combat is somehow boring or perhaps outdated. So we're going to address all of that. And the impetus for this conversation is the recent word that Tetsuya Numura and company are planning, quote, dramatic changes for the Final Fantasy VII Remake, suggesting that, indeed, we are going to be moving away from kind of the ATB battle system from Final Fantasy VII, but we don't know. He also referenced Advent Children as... (laughs) (laughs) That's much more troubling. As a potential um, uh, source of inspiration. God. Even people who like that a decade ago probably feel bad about it now. I did not particularly like Advent Children I'm back sorry in the if you day. did. I'm not meaning to shame anybody, but man. It's... It wasn't a good movie. No. Let, let's be honest. It was a string of CG fight scenes that got progressively more ridiculous. I think that I probably would have liked it when Final Fantasy VII had just come out. Oh, yeah. But I was also 15. So I I think it was made for 15-year-olds. So if you liked it, you were probably born in like 1990, I'm guessing. Yeah, after six years, it was, or what was it? Final Fantasy VII was eight years old at that point. So the bloom had, was a little bit off the rose. And I don't know, the thing that I remember rolling my eyes at the most in that one was when uh, Cloud, not Squall, Cloud is going to go fight Bahamut and he's like, jumping like off buildings and everything and then like members of the team are lifting him up into the air like he's bouncing off various team members so they can get up into the air and actually like start slashing at bahamut and i was like okay yeah yeah they actually cut a scene where he ate a senzu bean so that's why you're confused yeah i was gonna say that it's is this like a low g-man kind of thing (laughs) i guess so holding onto a moon rock that was a dbz deep cut for you guys (laughs) in any case i I don't actually think that this means that Final Fantasy VII is going full action. I think it's more likely that, you know, you'll do, you'll like select attack and instead of Cloud rushing in and just, you know, slashing at a guy, he'll flip through the air a whole bunch of times and like come down and be like, hiya, hiya, hiya. So you think it'll just be uh, more elaborate animations grafted onto the battle system? I do. I don't. I actually think it's going to be an action RPG because that is the way Square is moving with their console games. Um, I remember back in 1997 or 98, like I was the video game guy in my school because I guess not a lot of people played video games back then. I don't know, but I remember like people were getting Final Fantasy VII and, and then coming to me to explain it. And uh, I've I've heard I've told this story before, but one of the most common complaints was 
you can't even move your guys. And they were referring to the battle <laughs> system. So I, I think that feeling still persists. Um, and they definitely want a this remake to reach as many people as possible. And it's still it's still possible to make a good action RPG that's you know just as deep as a turn-based one. But I feel like um, if they're pouring this much money into a production like this, they are not going to just do select commands from a menu. It's going to be more like... Um, God, was Crisis Core was that was that selecting things from a menu or was that just Crisis, um so Crisis Core had some menu selection things and then I don't know maybe it'll end up being a little bit more like Lightning Returns. That's what I'm thinking. Sort yeah. of like that weird hybrid between action and menu select stuff. Yeah, I think that. Well, he said uh, Nomura was saying that he doesn't want it to be totally unrecognizable. So I'm not expecting Kingdom Hearts type stuff. I I oh, wouldn't be God. surprised. Yeah, thank God, right? I I wouldn't be surprised if they did something to similar to what you guys were just suggesting, where it's more of a hybrid. Um, to be perfectly honest, I wouldn't mind them keeping the old ATB system as long as they kind of broaden it and deepen it. Because uh, somebody made a really good comment on the article, um, observing that in Final Fantasy VII there actually isn't a ton of depth to the way that the combat actually works. I mean, yeah, you can put together different combinations of materia for some really interesting effects, but what it boils down to is usually keep doing damage without dying. There's not there's no concept of like say burst damage. There's no concept there the the status effect spells are all but useless. You, um, so it's either you're attacking or you're healing. There's, yeah, it's kind of binary. In if that anything, regard. I think they can only improve on the battle system because as it is, it's kind of sloppy. And I mean, that's been kind of the case since like FF five onwards. I mean, not saying FF five is roped into that, but I think like six, seven, and eight, they're a little sloppy and a little weird and a little experimental. And I think it wasn't until nine that they figured out a way to make the battles more like puzzles, like they were in Final Fantasy four. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, so that would be, I mean, I disagree with you, but I think that that would be hopefully the direction they take it in. Final Fantasy VII's battles are also just unbearably slow, and it's not, just, too, because, yeah. it's not just because of the battle system. Yeah. Um, so one of the interesting threads that I'm kind of getting out of this is there are the people who are going, no, this would be an atrocity if Final Fantasy VII Remake were to be real-time, um, like fully real-time, real and I'll admit that Absent a miracle, if you took away the, the menus, I would pretty much immediately become a lot less interested in the Final Fantasy VII Remake, because I like a good, meany, turn-based strategic system myself. Um, and then there are the people who are saying, good, turn-based combat is out of date, and I want something more kinetic and more engaging. And I'm, I'm curious where you guys feel like that kind of line of thinking is coming from. So, I don't know. So I don't think that turn-based stuff is outmodeled at all. Um, mm -hmm. Like the Persona games and SMT in general are a really good example of how to use turn-based effectively, where it has a lot more to do with planning out a series of strategic moves over the course of like three or four turns to kind yeah. of get the best end result. Um, and then, I mean, even something like, uh, I've actually been playing a lot of Final Fantasy X-2 lately, uh, Picking that back up. And that's a really interesting battle system because it's turn-based, but it's also really kinetic in a way that a lot of turn-based systems aren't because it relies so heavily on changing strategies up 
at any given moment and then timing attacks to chain them together, which is a really interesting way for kind of a menu system to work because that's the way that normally just action RPGs work. It's kind of an... That would, to me, be kind of the ideal system for something like Final Fantasy VII, like that or a Lightning Returns style kind of thing. But... Uh, who knows? Like, they, they both have their merits. It really depends on how they choose to approach it, but turn-based stuff certainly isn't useless at this point. It's just different. Yeah, I mean, there are bad action-based uh, battle systems like Kingdom Hearts. I'm sorry. <laughs> it could be a lot better. And there are bad uh, turn-based uh, you know, systems. But I think like something even like Bravely Default, which was just a few years ago, showed how you can really put a lot more thought into turn-based, where you're queuing up up to like 16 turns at once and figuring out, like, okay, do I need to save these turns for later? Should I spend them all now? How many turns does the enemy have? There's a lot of thought that goes into you know, putting in those commands. It's not just like, you know, the standard RPG tactic of when the battle loads, just keep hitting confirm until the battle screen is end, you know, the battle screen is over. So And battle systems have I mean turn based combat obviously go back to the very beginning of RPGs in general, like before video games were even really a thing. Um and it's if you go back to say the nineties with Diablo one, there are people who are going, oh Diablo's not a turn-based game, therefore it can't possibly be an RPG. Like you had that kind of iconoclastic thinking. And now and now turn-based RPGs are actually, in fact, becoming a little more rare. Um, you guys already commented on Square Enix kind of moving away from that mode of gameplay. And then, of course, one of the most two of the most popular RPG developers in the West, BioWare and Bethesda, have very much gone, or have very much gone into a much more action-based approach. I mean, you need only look at what's happened to, say, Dragon Age and Mass Effect over the, over the past few years. Of course, Dragon Age was always more real-time, I suppose, but you, you see what I'm saying. Whereas, Knights of the Old, correct me if I'm wrong, but Knights of the Old Republic, real-time or turn-based? I thought you could play it how you wanted to play it. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, no, you can pause it. Yeah. yeah right. Okay. Kind of like a Baldur's Gate-style thing. Yeah, so it's like almost pseudo-turn-based in a way, because you can pause it to like set up all of your moves before you get going. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed a lot of games taking that kind of strategy as well. Um like, not just RPGs either, like Transistor did it, and that was really good. I actually really like that approach, because it it keeps the action moving in an interesting way, but it also has the elements of turn-based strategy that I like, where I can sit down and plot out what I want to do, and get out, get my uh, my combinations set up where without being too stressed out about it. The, the downside is that it can get really messy. Yeah. Well, I mean, the real advantage of turn-based is it all focuses around the ability to plan out strategy, and then the joy of real-time stuff is reacting to things as they happen. And yeah. being able to pause action to go into kind of a turn-based mode is like, you kind of get the best of both if it's done right. We also have things like weird hybrids, like, uh, well, everything about this game is weird, but Resonance of Fate, where it is a turn-based system, but during those turns while your character is moving to the commands you set for them, you have a, like leeway to perform certain actions within that movement period. So 
that's a really interesting case of uh, a developer that turned a turn-based system into an action system. Like it's a weird like amalgam of the two that I really love. The funny thing about Final Fantasy was that in a weird way, it was kind of a real-time system going back to Final Fantasy IV because you could turn off the weight. Oh, yeah. 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 So, but sometimes after a while, I stopped doing that because it would make for an interesting challenge to do that. But mostly it meant that you just have to be really fast about scrolling through menus, which I got kind of irritated about after a while because it was like, oh, good, because I wasn't able to find, you know, the Mega Elixir in time. My party is now dead. Yeah, I think it was trying to add like a diegetic element to the battles. Like, no, no, you'd really be sorting through your bag looking for a potion. You know, <laughs> you, can't, you can't freeze time. But, you know, it it does it is like a really artificial thing for me. And it's just like... I would rather just let that window of time freeze when I'm making a command. It doesn't, I know, I can, I can see through the illusion, really. So let's go back in time really quickly. I was wondering, like, can, can we kind of like sketch out a roadmap of how turn-based strategy, um, has evolved over the years? Um, Steve, that's partly why I brought you on. Yeah, so I don't know a whole lot about the tabletop history. Um, I did a little bit of look up. And what I've been able to find out is that, I mean, obviously it comes from Dungeons and Dragons. And Dungeons and Dragons, I can't, I'm not sure if this is first edition or second edition, but it's super rigid about the way that a turn works. And in fact, it explicitly says, um, characters around the table go around in a circle. And each move that you are allowed to take represents exactly six seconds of game time. So they comp- the total moves of all people sitting at the table takes place over six seconds. And then you kind of get, like, for games where it's a kind of a one-on-one thing, like the first Dragon Warrior, where it's one character versus one enemy, kind of the timescale thing doesn't matter. Um, as far as console RPGs, Final Fantasy One is the one where that gets kind of interesting because of how they... I mean, that game is pretty much Dungeons & Dragons when you get down to it with kind of a little flair put on top of it. Right down to the enemy designs, too. Yeah. Got great enemy designs. All stolen from Dungeons & Dragons. I'm surprised they didn't get sued out of existence. Um, But the way that that system works is that characters get a certain number of hits per turn, because there's nothing really real-time about it. And that is actually an abstraction of the character's speed stat as to how many hits and how much damage they would be able to do Basically, over that six-second period that is described by Dungeons and Dragons turn, kind of cue everybody up, and then they react based upon a stat. And that's sort of the way that RPGs have worked all the way up. Like turn-based RPGs have worked all the way up until I don't know, sometime in the late-ish '90s, I think, or when we start getting hybrid systems, um, like kind of in the mid '90s. And then you know, you get the action RPG thing, which just totally does away with that abstraction because you don't need it. If you're sitting at a computer, you don't have to have like those discussions among other players and with the GM to decide who does what and how long it takes and where you're positioned in the room and stuff, because that's just all represented on the actual screen in the actual game. And then in, in more recent times, you've had a, a pretty big Split, I would say you have companies that are going all action and then you have companies that are like, nope, we're old school as old school can be. Just witness what Obsidian did with, say, um, Pillars of Eternity, which 
I suppose that's a bad example because that's more of that hybrid real-time turn-based element that we're talking about. But yeah. Divinity Original Sin, mm-hmm. yeah, very much turn-based. Pokemon, still turn-based until the day it dies. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yep. And I, I feel like, okay, so if we're talking about the appeal of turn-based gameplay, once upon a time, I found turn-based combat really intimidating because I was like, I, oh, God, oh, my God, menus, help, help, menus. This is scary, right? Or I'm just looking at this picture. It's it's not moving. What's going on? But as time went on, I came to appreciate turn-based RPGs because it didn't, they weren't as Twitch oriented. I felt like, okay, well, even if I'm not as fast with button inputs as somebody else, I can beat him with my brain. Right? Yeah. I mean, I was indoctrinated in the way Nintendo wanted me to be because a friend of mine got the whole Dragon Warrior free uh, with his Nintendo Power subscription. So. That was my first RPG that I got to play, and from then on, it was pretty easy for me to figure out what an RPG did, because it was like, this is the most basic form of an RPG on a console. And just playing it for a few hours made me realize, okay, this is what combat's like, this is what, what the kind of flow is, you, 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 you earn money, you earn experience, you upgrade yourself. So having that as an introductory uh, lesson to RPGs was great for me, um, and I'm sad more people didn't have that you know, from the beginning. Yeah, it was pretty much the same for me. I can't remember whether it was Final Fantasy or the the Nintendo Power Dragon Quest, but both of those games were actually very good at kind of bringing you into how the mechanics worked and the way that that the gameplay path was meant to progress, Um, in large part because Nintendo Power just published so much crap about those games to let (laughs) you know what was going on. It it felt like every three years there was a push behind some new RPG, and when it, whenever that push happened, there was a new focus on telling people what an RPG was through the magazine. So I remember that happened with uh, you know Dragon Warrior, Final Fantasy, Earthbound, things things like that. Before Pokemon, they really wanted some other RPG to take off in America, but it wasn't until Pokemon that Nintendo finally had what they needed. Well, there's a good reason for that, and that's because, I mean, a lot of people who were playing the Nintendo had never played a PC RPG. And all through the 80s, of course, we had, you know, you had the wizardries of the world and all of that. And those were obviously turn-based. And so people who had grown up with PC were like, yeah, yeah, this is all old hat, whatever. But people who were playing on the NES, you know, they were used to Mario, so this was an entirely new paradigm. I do for realize, though, that I did games. kind of contradict myself, and I said I, I'm sorry more people didn't have Dragon Warrior, but people have Pokemon now, which is essentially as simple as Dragon Warrior in terms of you know just the basics. So that is this generation's Dragon Warrior, or like at least the Dragon Warrior for several generations is Pokemon. Yeah, the thing with Dragon Warrior is that, or sorry, I guess Dragon Quest at this point is that it's it's remained deliberately very accessible. Um, but I've always, I've always liked the pace that it goes at, um, in the way that enemies will have different challenges about them. They'll be like really fast attackers or they'll be really strong defensively. And every party member has their individual strengths and their individual abilities. And usually it's just a, a race to, can I get my party buffed without dying? And then deliver like enough burst damage to take down a particular enemy or a, a particular boss, um, which sounds relatively simplistic um, 
absent the jobs and the the monsters that you can capture in certain games but it it has a speed and an excitement to it that i generally appreciate and i would say the the only equivalent that i can really think of is maybe final fantasy 4 which was similarly fast but had even less customization so you could say that those were two examples of relatively streamlined turn-based combat from that particular era. Mm-hmm. And that's why Dragon Quest has managed to kind of retain its appeal. Now, if you look at... Now, getting back to Final Fantasy VII really quickly, I think the wild card here is... I think people will flip the hell out if they change it in Japan. <laughs> well, you rem- Because you I rem- think Final... You remember Sorry? when the Dragon Quest... Was it Dragon Quest Nine or Dragon Test Ten where they were talking about making it a, a real-time or like in a more action-focused game? That was nice. Thank God, thank God they yeah. didn't do that. I'm yeah. sorry, but I'm so glad they didn't do that. And then level well, 5 made that into Fantasy Life, so if you want to play that version of Dragon Quest, uh, it's out in some form. Yeah, <laughs> and it's really good. But no, I mean, like we've actually seen what happens when somebody in Japan says, hey, we're going to take this classic RPG formula, and we're going to change it so that it's a little more modern. Like People totally flip out. <laughs> I don't want to pigeonhole Japanese gamers, but... Maybe, it just, maybe I should clarify, all gamers. <laughs> I, it just strikes me that Final Fantasy VII is as beloved a game in Japan as it is in the U.S., and perhaps even more so, because, so. I mean, it was almost a one-to-one ratio of Final Fantasy VII to PlayStation 1 over there. Like, the attach rate was ridiculous. And a lot of people, and nostalgia is obviously just as big a thing over there as it is over here. And people have been waiting for this remake for so long over there that it feels like if they go ahead and like alter it so significantly that it becomes essentially an action game that people will, pardon the language, lose their shit. <laughs> and that will be that. I, I don't think, uh, I think Dragon Quest is a lot more conservative than Final Fantasy. So I, I don't think Final Fantasy fans are as afraid of change. Because if you look at how wildly the last few games have been, uh, wildly different that is, um, I guess fans are just willing to just roll with the changes, you know, because like the game started with a fairly fantasy setting and now it's like, now this game's about pop stars and now this is like kind of like an MO and now this is an MMO. You know, just but like this is Final Fantasy VII we're talking about, right? But I'm saying, like, as as a whole, the Final Fantasy fans they're willing to like, you know, accept changes. I think I've not seen any like backlash yet. Well, you have to remember though that Final Fantasy fans are also not good at accepting changes because think about the reception that Final Fantasy VIII got after Final Fantasy VII, <laughs> and yeah. then think about what Final Fantasy IX was. If right? that Fantasy, was a, that uh, was Americans, though. Yeah, I mean Americans were like, oh, Final Fantasy VII, sweet, that was awesome. And then when Final Fantasy VIII came around, they're like, oh, great, I'm going to get more Final Fantasy VII. Not really understanding yeah. kind of the tradition of the series That's and what was going true. on. That's true. That's true. But I would, I will say that that's around the time when Final Fantasy took a really radical departure from what it had been. Like, I mean, up until that point, it kind of been a gradual evolution between titles. And also they did the thing where up until Final Fantasy VII, it was... The odd-numbered ones are more mechanical-focused and build on the job system, and the even-numbered ones are, like, the melodrama story-focused ones. 
Yeah. I, I think after all of that extended universe crap that happened a decade ago, <laughs> Final Fantasy VII fans are so, like, inured to bad ideas that, like, a change for the better, even if it is a change, might sit well with them. Because, I mean, look at what they've been through. All the terrible games. Crisis Core was the one exception, but man, that was just a rough time uh, because it's like, we'll give you all these things you never wanted. We're not going to give you the remake you want, but here's a bunch of spinoffs that are absolutely garbage. The point of the Final Fantasy VII remake is that the original is so dated visually um, that it's not super fun to play, and people want the feeling that they originally had in 1997 when they looked at it and went, oh my god, that was the most incredible thing that I've ever seen. Have you seen those summon monsters? And they're not going to get that. But at the very least, I want to be able to enjoy Final Fantasy VII's story without looking at little polygonal guys. So I like them. And I want some semblance of a turn-based system. That's what I want. Actually, I want them to have the same character models, but with like realistic textures. So they're still all paper crafty, but they've got like realistic skin and hair. I'd like that. that <laughs> Someone hire me for Square. I've got some great ideas. So look, I I don't hate real time RPGs. I'm very fond of Skyrim, and I I I'm playing Bloodborne right now, and it's amazing. It's great, but they're just very different experiences, and I go in with very different expectations. Uh, when I play Bloodborne, I'm thinking of a very twitchy, like, it's definitely very deep, but a very twitchy kind of game. When I'm playing Skyrim, I'm, I'm not even necessarily thinking about combat. I'm just thinking about exploring this wide, interesting world. With Dragon Age, I'm thinking about who I'm going to date next. I'm not really thinking about any particular deep strategy with the characters. But when I'm playing a, a proper turn-based strategy game, like, or a turn-based RPG, it's giving me, it's giving me strategy. It's, it's activating that strategic portion of my brain that also comes into play when I'm playing, say, a strategy game like Civilization, where I'm, like you guys were already talking about, plotting out my next move. And they're two very distinct animals, and I don't think, I don't necessarily understand why people would feel that one should supplant the other. Or that why turn-based would exactly be going out of date, but yeah. So we've already been we've already gone on that territory. We kind of kind of touched on this before when we were talking about good battle systems that kind of make you plot a few moves ahead. But I'm curious, what do you guys like to see in a modern turn-based RPG system? I personally like when, um, I think Bravely Default is my best example, when there's a lot of planning that goes into making decisions. Um, and, you know, what your enemies are doing weighs in on that, uh, what your capabilities are weighs in on that. But I, I like I like turn-based um, fighting as more of like a puzzle kind of experience instead of just, you know, mindlessly mash- mashing the A button or the uh, confirm button or whatever. I really like when there's like... It requires a lot of thought. That's what turn-based, uh, you know, battles should do. They should require you to think a lot before acting. Yeah, and I think that that's what I like as well. Not just the thought, but also a system that provides you with interesting choices. Um, I mean, you brought up civilization, and like, there's the the Sid Meier apocryphal quote that a game is a series of interesting decisions, and that's really where turn-based can shine. If the turn-based system is rich enough to allow you to make those interesting decisions about where you trade off certain aspects to 
to do more damage but leave yourself vulnerable for like an extra turn, that's an interesting choice to make. And because you get the leeway to make those interesting choices, if you fail, you can come back to it and do something different. And it doesn't feel repetitive, or as repetitive, I should say. Which is a big problem with RPGs, just because of the way that progress works in them. Yeah, repetition is an important thing because um, I, I think I bashed my head against, uh, God, what's the name of it, Radiant Historia, that DS game from maybe five years back. And yeah. they put so much attention to everything, like the story, but there are basically like a handful of possible battle encounters. So even if you were, uh, if, even if you did have to make important choices, you're only making the same choices, you know, over and over again. So that really weighed that game down and made me never finish it. Just like one, you've, you've hit one of five possible enemy arrangements. Now just do what you did the last 12 times. It's, it re- you really need to create a lots of different scenarios for the player to work with. I think the, for me, the, the secret to a really good turn-based system, or at least I know that I'm dealing with a really good turn-based system when I spend a lot of time obsessing over my party. And that's actually, uh, that's one thing that I really like about a good turn-based or hybrid turn-based RPGs. I like building a party of disparate character, disparate and interesting characters who can have a lot of interesting abilities and can bring something new and different to the part, uh, to the group. That's why I spent so many years playing Pokemon because, I mean, for God's sake, you had, I can't even remember how many there are off the top of my head, but more than 500, like, available party members with various strengths and weaknesses available, um, at, uh, at my disposal. So, I, I, a really good turn-based RPG will have balanced characters who, if depending on what configuration you have of your party members, will be able to do dip, be able to pursue different strategies. Whether it's a very defensive strategy or a very attack-oriented strategy, or going more for a um, uh, going more for a like wearing them down with with status effects and that kind of thing. I think actually a pretty good example, a pretty good recent example is Darkest Dungeon, where you have quite a few different party members and or different classes of character, and the configuration and even just the where you put them in the formation can dramatically change, like how kind of how you approach uh, individual encounters. And I always liked putting two of the uh highwaymen up front and then doing the the tactic where like basically you do a point blank shot and then they get thrown backward one uh one position in the party and then I can do the the leap forward to do another attack um that brings them back and then so kind of rinse and repeat. Um like that kind of element is a lot of fun for me. Hmm. I also don't mind when um, games give you a prescribed char- character path to walk down, basically, like Dragon Quest, the older Dragon Quest games, Final Fantasy IV. Um, I've, be- I've come to appreciate those more in recent years because there's something about those kind of games where the developers know what kind of skills you have, what kind of magic, what kind of strength you have at that time, so they can very specifically design battles around your limits, so I find things like Dragon Quest VIII and Final Fantasy IV, games where you just get a prescribed skills 
as you walk down this level path. I find they have their good qualities too, even if you aren't making those important character choices. Well, no, because, and that's actually a really good point, because, like, some of the battles in Final Fantasy IV are so specifically crafted to the characters and skills that you have in your party that it's, it's not about making the interesting choices, then it's about solving the puzzle, right? I mean, we, you guys have talked about that, that solving a puzzle can also be part of a really good real-time system. Yeah, and I think that's why people don't like the back half of Final Fantasy VI as much as they like the first half. It's because the developers have no idea what who will be in your party, what skills you'll have, what equipment you'll have. So the game is just wildly all over the place in terms of difficulty and challenge and things like that, where it's like, oh, I taught everyone Ultima, so I'm just going to cast that on every turn and just you know clean the floor with the universe. Uh, that's Final Fantasy VI for you. Yeah, yeah, but that's also fun in then. its own. That's also fun in its own way too. Though. Yeah, breaking games can be a lot of fun too. But um, I, I do Final like Fantasy those very VIII. specifically Ooh. tailored challenges. Yeah, no, I agree with you. There's, I think that really the joy in that ending, that end portion of Final Fantasy VI, is that you kind of get to go out of that prescribed box and play with it a little bit. That's why I've always enjoyed the oh, yeah. last segment of that game so much. That was pretty but, novel for a Japanese RPG, too. Yeah, and I think that that was... Was that the first game where Square really gave you that breadth of character choices outside of like the job system in Final Fantasy V? I think it was. It was. I mean, any character could learn any spell, period. And all of their stat growth was tied to the same material that taught you spells. So you could just pick the characters you like based on their personalities... And just, you know, dress them up with however many abilities you wanted to give them if you wanted to invest so much time in them. Yeah. Which I know I, I love Mog and he's kind of useless, but I gave Mog like all the best magic, all the best weapons, all the best skills, just because I liked how he looked. Yeah. Well I mean and that's the system that's really exemplified by Final Fantasy Seven, where the characters are all basically interchangeable from a mechanical standpoint. You kind of pick them based on this guy looks cool or I like the fact that Sid has all this wildly censored cusses. I want to play as a cool vampire guy. Or you like their limit break. Yeah, or you like some of them break. have much better limit breaks than others. Yeah, that, yeah, that's true. Um, but Final Fantasy VI also had had the individual skills for each character. So, and some of the the skills were definitely a lot better than others. Yeah, and I think that that's really kind of the one thing that Final Fantasy VII lacks that would make it more interesting. Like, just from a purely mechanical standpoint, I mean, remake aside, is that if each character kind of had their own individual thing outside of the limit breaks, it might be, there might be more interesting choices to make than just, I hit attack and maybe cast some cure magic. I remember, I remember a long time ago, back, uh, when I say a long time ago, I, I guess the late 90s, I guess that counts as that a, was long a long time, time ago. ago. That Kat. was a long time ago now. Kat. I guess that counts as a long time ago, which is, ugh. But I remember craving a a game with with button inputs. I was like, oh yeah, wouldn't it be amazing if I had a turn-based game, but then I could run in and do like combos. That would be so great. And then I got Xenogears. And <laughs> be careful I, what you wish for. I like Xenogears quite a bit, but maybe it was a little more repetitive than I would have liked. Um I'll I don't remember the battle system super well, except that on foot, I remember that you had to slowly unlock def- different button inputs to be able to get abilities. Yep. And That's right. the gears 
were more conventional. I, th- I feel like I remember um, they had like magic, or I guess they had their skills, and then they had um, regular attacks. And I found I actually found the foot combat a lot more fun than the yeah. mech combat because the mech combat was kind of slow. Mech combat was not only super slow; it was really limited by the uh, the energy system that they had. Like Xenogears combat was very ill-advised in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. And then I picked up Valkyrie Profile, and anybody who's followed me over the years knows that I adore that game. But oddly enough, I I think the battle system might actually be the weak point of that game. And what I mean is, it's it's fun to do the button inputs because it's it's a button input game where, like, you press uh the proper input for say Lenith and she'll run in an attack and then you press another uh, you press the button for whomever and they'll run in attack so it's about putting in the right sequence of attacks so that they run in and do a combo that will do a certain amount of damage and after a while you kind of optimize it and you're like okay like I hit these buttons and then I'll be able to launch them or I'll be able to break a shield and then I'll be able to do the maximum amount of damage and then your goal is to build up to 100 so that you can start doing the super attacks. Well, the problem with that battle system was that after a while, it was just like, okay, do the combo, get the super attack, do the combo, do the super attack, get the combo, do the super attack. And if, and then the enemies would come in and they would hit you with something that would annihilate your party, but you would have like various abilities attached that would revive you and heal you. And so it's like rinse and repeat. And, it, it was, it's fun in its own way, but the tiniest bit repetitive. So I think the thing that, I, I think the death knell from a, for a turn-based RPG can be those rinse and repeat kind of mechanics where it's like, okay, yeah, this is starting to get it to be a bit of a drag. Yeah. Which is actually one of the things that the Persona games are really smart about. Um, mm. Like, especially Persona 3, where the enemy encounters are not... There's not a lot of variety of them between the different strata of the dungeon. But just as you're kind of getting tired of them, you run into a boss or you move to the next strata. And so it keeps things interesting enough that you have to... Like, you keep trying new things until you find out what works. And then you keep going, and it happens again. It's a really satisfying loop. And the benefit is that Persona moves really fast. Yeah, that's the other benefit. (laughs) Absolutely. Games that have a much slower pace have a much harder time keeping up that kind of momentum. Which is another problem with Final Fantasy VII's kind of turn-based thing. I I mean, I mentioned it being slow, but it's not just the inputs that are slow. The enemy variety is also super slow. But in all honesty, Final Fantasy IX was way slower than Final Fantasy VII or VIII. Oh yeah, Final and that Fantasy was a, IX is nearly unplayable. It's so slow. Yeah, it was a limitation of the engine, which is one of the reasons that I've always been kind of like, uh, I really love Final Fantasy IX's art and world and writing, and it has a good story. But I don't like the gameplay. Sorry, everybody who loves Final Fantasy IX. I can't buy into the idea that it's the best one. I really well, do, but I think If it there's needs... a game that needs a remake, it's <laughs> yeah. that one. Yeah, well, I've talked about this. I actually talked about this last time. If there's a game that needs a remake, it's Vagrant Story. Like, oh, yeah. That game, game that has... needs to be finished, it's Vagrant Story. I know. I mean, it has horrible inputs. A lot of the systems are sort of half-baked. Like, that's that's kind of the ideal candidate for a remake. But I'd buy it. There's also this idea that in video game remakes, and I saw somebody mention this on 
Twitter, which I thought was kind of funny, was that if every movie remake was like a video game remake, every movie would be Gus Van Sant's Psycho. Which, <laughs> if you guys aren't familiar with it, it's literally a shot-for-shot oh, yeah. remake of Hitchcock's movie. And that's kind of what like HD re-releases or remakes of video games are. It is the exact same game, but it looks a little better. I think it would be Gus Van Sant's Psycho, but filmed in 48 frames per second. Oh, God, Jesus Christ, that's a horror. That's what the modern uh, video <laughs> but, game remake is. But unlike movies, real like much better visuals actually do make a big difference. No. like I, I mean, if we're talking about Final Fantasy VII in 1997 versus Final Fantasy VII versus 2015, we're talking about freaking, like, the di- the only difference that I can think of that's equivalent for movies is going from, like, a 1920s silent movie to like, like I I can't even probably you can't even conceptualize it. Like it, you can't it, even conceptualize the difference. The difference is too big. No, I mean I totally get where you're coming from, but it's like I think that that's a real shame that video game remakes are kind of missing out on this opportunity to not just improve the graphics, but kind of improve everything. Like improve the stuff that didn't work. And it at least sounds like whatever track they take with the battle system eventually. Everyone at Square who's working on the Final Fantasy VII thing is at least considering that kind of stuff. No, I want to be clear that, as I already said, I think that there are a lot of improvements that can be made to Final Fantasy VII's battle system, starting with making the characters more distinct and more interesting and adding more depth to the way that you handle the material in the party building. I'm I'm not denying that. I just... I... You know, I don't... I... I didn't find uh, uh, Crisis Core's battle system particularly compelling. It got pretty repetitive after a while. Yeah. yeah. And I think that as you try to go more into real time, you start having a situation where you are sacrificing depth because you assume that having a semi-real-time action thing is enough. And that's when repetitiveness starts to set in and a game can get kind of dreary. And while I like Type Zero and I thought that it did a pretty decent job of keeping the action moving and being lively, um, when people were like, well, maybe it should be like Final Fantasy Type Zero, I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> Please don't make it like that because Final Fantasy Type Zero was fine, but there was nothing really to it in terms of actually in terms of the actual combat and it was just shallow you know and i'm not looking for something shallow i'm looking for a good meaty rpg i i think that's what i'm kind of hoping for out of a final fantasy 7 remake is that it graduates into something interesting yeah or at least more interesting mechanically but i get the feeling that that's not what they're going for i feel like they're going as mass market as humanly possible, and in that case, it might get shallower, actually, which is kind of dismaying to me. Yeah, I don't so this... know um, if this is a controversial statement, but regardless of what happens to the remake, the original is still perfectly playable and available on like a billion platforms. I just replayed it a few years ago. My eyes didn't boil out of my skull. I found the old school graphics very charming. I um I had a fun experience with it playing it over again for the first time in maybe 15 years. So I will say it's not like the original is unplayable by any means. I still think it holds up as long as you accept the limitations of what a game could do in 1997, a 3D game that is. Yeah, and I mean that's however the remake turns out, the original is always going to exist. 
and Square will continue to sell the original until the end of time itself. Yes. <laughs> it will always be available. So, I'm curious, what do you think are the best turn-based RPGs? Like, the best turn-based RPG systems? Hmm. And I apologize to those who love old-school Western RPGs. I mean, the nature of this group is that we kind of focus on the Japanese side of things, so I know Steve has a pretty good uh, breadth of takes. Well, I mean, so... Like, I can just think of kind of three off the top of my head, and one of the ones that you mentioned is there was actually, like, way back in the distant past, there was this turn-based... Um, it was sort of ultima e shareware game for the Mac called, I think it was Realms with a Z on the end of it, because it was the 90s and everything had a Z. Um, that game actually had a really interesting turn-based system that was it was modeled on either Ultima 3 or Ultima 4. Um, same with Exile Escape from the Pit, which I think got rebranded as... Uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's the same guys who do Arknum. Oh, I wish I could hmm. remember the name. Spiderweb Software. I know the name of the developer. Um, those are like oh, okay. two two interesting kind of turn-based systems that you see on PC, and those have like more of the depth of kind of a strategy game than just a straight-up menu input RPG. But as far as JRPGs go, for me, it's really all about Persona 4 and then Final Fantasy X-2, which is a game that I think got a bad rap when it came out. And then when the HD remake came out recently, people kind of glossed over it. But that game has a really phenomenal battle system, even if they don't kind of push it as far as it should go. Uh, I will say one comment about Final Fantasy X-2. By the end of that game, I had three Dark Knights, and I was basically doing the same thing over and over again, and it got to be a bit of a drag. Hmm. Yeah, I haven't reached that point yet. It's still like really fast and kinetic and fun. I'm like maybe a third or half the way through the game, which is about how far I got the last time I tried it out. But I have no question that at the end of the game, you're kind of just doing the same thing over and over again. Because that's... Like... Final Fantasy V doesn't quite reach that with the job system, but Final Fantasy Tactics does a little bit, like depending on how what kind of builds you take about midway through. So it's, you know, none of the job system games are perfect, but they're better at that kind of thing than most other RPGs are. What about you, Bob? I'm going to steal a few, a few choices here. Uh, Persona 4, obviously, uh, I mean, the SMT series is famous for the whole press turn system. And I think that game does it really well. And um, I'm actually one of those jerks who lets the AI fight for me, except in boss battles, to make things go by faster. So I really like that system. Very fast, very efficient. Um, I also love uh, Final Fantasy IV, like I said before. And that's for like the puzzle, na- the puzzly nature of the battles. But I also really love Dragon Quest um, VIII and IX. I think that really hit a sweet spot in, um, in terms of just uh, making you feel like there was the possibility of losing, especially with bosses. Like I remember those boss fights just like praying my magic points would hold out until the end and making sure my, my healer and my person who was doing buffs were going through their routines, you know, refreshing them when needed, you know, powering up my charge attacks. Like Those are some great battles, and I'm, I'm really hoping Dragon Quest will Eleven, whatever whatever it turns into, uh, really captures that feeling again. Uh, for my money, the best JRPG battle system is probably probably Grandia Two. Oh, and Grandia Two is a good choice. I choose Grandia Two because it has that excitement of 
it, it does a good job of bringing in kind of the best of real time and turn based because you have a gauge and you have these little icons and they're going around and then they'll get to a point where they start powering up an attack and certain attacks um, have different lengths of time that they require to power up. And if you're fast enough or if you're, if you have the right character, you can go in and interrupt them. And if they're like going for something really big, you will like throw them like all the way back to the beginning of the gauge. So in theory, you can interrupt them into oblivion. And in that case, status effects, um, proper turn sequencing, um, and combinations and knowing when to use your big attacks become much more important. And that is an example of a really fast and really intense and enjoyable uh, turn-based RPG system. I mean, maybe Persona 4 ultimately is better um, or one of the other SMT games. I think Strange Journey was a phenomenal yeah, Strange uh, Journey. Example. Strange Journey probably has the best battle system of like the first person dungeon crawl SMT. Games. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention that. I, I really like Etrian Odyssey too. It's the same like Dragon Quest style thing of putting characters through their rhythms, you know. And this might sound like an odd choice, but I would actually say Pokemon is a good example because it's really simple, right? I mean, you have your fight command, you have your item command, and then you or so you have your four abilities and then you have an item but in when you're playing against other people you don't have the items but the over the years they've like added so much to it that's made it really interesting so the characters will have personalities that give them certain buffs they'll have skills that give them certain elements that um, change the impact of their elements so instead of just being a simple rock paper scissors it's like oh Yes, Gengar's poison, so technically he's vulnerable to Earth, but oh, he's got a levitation ability, so you can't hit him with that. Sorry. Well, and I think that Pokemon actually deserves a special mention because it's sort of the only one of all these battle systems we discussed that works as a competitive game. Yeah. And it's interesting because there are so many different builds for the different monsters in terms of the movesets, the way that you change up their stats, the items that you attach... I mean, I remember uh, for a long time you had like speed tiers where, or I mean, you, you have speed tiers where it's like, okay, if you want to be able to beat these monsters or outrun them, you need to make sure that you hit this particular speed number for your monster. But then Pokemon Diamond and Pearl came out and they introduced choice scarfs where you attach a, a scarf to a monster and they will be able to go like they have a 1.5 increase in speed but at the disadvantage of being locked into a particular move so now it's like oh crap are they wearing are they wearing a choice scarf what am i going to do and so scouting became a really big important element in that generation because it's like okay i need to find out what this monster is capable of are they wearing a choice item what's going on so i think pokemon at least until recently was a really great example of a comparatively simple system that had so many interesting components to it that it became really, really deep. So I would pick that one. Along with Grandia 2 and uh, uh, we're being boring. Uh, obviously, the Shimagami Tensei games definitely come to mind. Um, I'm really interested. Like, I know that there are probably some really great turn-based Western RPGs out there. Um, 
I haven't played as much Divinity Original Sin as I as I should have. Um, but it's coming out on PS4 and Xbox One, so I will have an opportunity at a later date pretty soon. So there's good. So there is that. Hmm. And like I already mentioned, I'm pretty excited to see what Darkest Dun- how Darkest Dungeon turns out. Yeah, I'm, I'm really too. excited when that game finally gets released and is no longer in early access. I've kind of sworn off early access games for at least a little while. Yeah. Um, well, I'm waiting until the full release came out. And I guess we'd be kind of remiss if we didn't at least pay a little bit of lip service to roguelikes, which are another kind of classic example of of turn-based RPGs. Yeah, and they, they also come from like the same Dungeons & Dragons turn-based abstraction sort of thing. Um, and I mean, I've talked about this before on the podcast with you guys. They're plenty fun, and there's plenty of good ones out there. So I guess to finish, I mean, I, I feel like we've pretty well established what the the strengths of what turn-based RPGs would be. I'm I'm just really curious where this notion of where do you feel like this notion of turn-based RPGs not being a good fit for AAA games is coming from? So I think that it's coming from kind of two places. And one of them is from within AAA itself, where menu systems just don't resonate with players as much as action does. Um, And then I think it's also coming from the player end where they feel like like a menu-driven system is somehow cheap. Like, because it's, and it, and this is one of the reasons why I think a lot of indie games now are kind of picking up the mantle of like the turn-based stuff, is because it feels, it feels cheap to people now in a way, mm-hmm. which it's definitely not. Um, like it's just that your time investment goes into different places than it does with a real-time system. So yeah. cheap in the sense that oh, because it's not action-based, then. It's yeah, cheap, like lower budget or something. Right, cheap as in, oh, the developers didn't put as much effort into it, or this game doesn't look as good as it should, or whatever. And, you know, the big focus in AAA is all about, does this look as good as it possibly can, and will we sell as many copies as is humanly possible? Yeah, I think there's there's a huge disconnect between uh, glorious 3D graphics and then using a pointer on a menu system to interact with that world. Like I said, even back in 1997, there was the whole, I can't even move my guys complaint. So even back then with those crusty old 3D graphics, there was still that disconnect and it's gotten even worse over time, I think. Yeah. But then you can, but in some ways, turn-based is like liberating because you can have some real graphical, um, just showcase moments. I mean, I would, a good example I would actually say is Super Robot Wars, which it, it certainly has its death. And, uh, and that's part of the reason that I kept playing was that there was just enough there in terms of the way the robots were customized that I was willing to slog my way through 60 freaking maps to get to the end. But part of the fun of that game is you, when you get like a really, like when you're using the absolute best attacks, that game goes all out. With like a, a whole minute or more of like just insanely over the top, really good looking animation, which I mean, yeah, you can have some amazing moments in, in action games for sure, but I, I feel like 
developers in some ways have more leeway to really push an engine to its limits with mm. turn-based. Oh, that's a that's a good point to make too, because like the PS One era front mission games, <clears throat> like I can't imagine anyone sitting through those except for like they look super cool and it's fun to customize your maps. Yeah, exactly. So, well, in any case, we will be we will know eventually whether uh, Final Fantasy VII is going to be going away from turn based. Uh, I I think that uh, you guys are probably right that we'll get some kind of hybrid system that still retains menus to some extent, but goes for a more mass market approach, and then. The fanboys will howl their heads off, and we'll have blood running in the streets, and we'll all have popcorn and be sitting back and watching and enjoying the show. So, so, so is Nomura directing this remake? I I didn't know the details on this. His name's attached to okay. it. His name is attached, but the rumor that I've heard that's been kind of going around is that he's sort of like a a figurehead on it, so that he's got mm-hmm. his name attached to it, but that he's not super actively involved in it. Okay. Whether the interviews, at least. I was yeah, going to propose or... that they make the Final Fantasy VII remake, make it also Kingdom Hearts 3 at the same time, and then maybe he could ship two console games in a decade. Holy crap. <laughs> Take that, you talentless hack. <laughs> oh my god. That's right. That's I'm bringing it. That's cruel. He's awful. So I guess this is also a good time for me to ask this question that I've been wondering like a lot of this time. Have you, did you guys play the Final Fantasy XV demo, or have any game, has any gameplay news been coming out of uh cologne on that it's been today? it's been on my i'm um, on my ps4's hard drive for like however long it's been available and i still haven't touched it yeah because my because the thing that i'm really curious about is if they do modernize final fantasy 7 like what if the worst case scenario is that it's they use final fantasy 15's engine to do it and then it's just final fantasy 15 but with final fantasy 7 <laughs> inside it Today in Germany, Square Enix announced that the elusive Final Fantasy XV is totally on schedule and that they've even planned out a release date. Then, in traditional Square Enix fashion, they said they couldn't tell us it to tell it to us yet. So I'm also this is, a, this is a good time for me to. Um, I remember that was from Kotaku, by the way. I, I remember I saw the Final Fantasy XV trailer and it was in French for some reason, and it's a false cognate. But I was definite. I was definitely amused by the fact that it was like. Um, Oh, what was it? What was the exact sentence? But it had the word actualment in it, which is a false cognate for actually, but means coming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it is a game that will theoretically appear at some point. It's been in development in one form or another for what, seven years now? Eight? I think we're coming up on the 10th anniversary of its announcement, according to uh, Chris Kohler. Jesus Christ. I believe it was announced in uh, 2006, maybe, or late 2005. And who knows how long development was uh, working on that. And remember, it's a story about bros because women are distracting. Ugh. That's what they said, anyways. Yeah. I... How, could you, how could you talk to your bros when there's a lady around? You're, you're all going to want a banger, right? That's how men work, right? <laughs> men are from Mars. Women are from uh, wherever Final Fantasy 15 takes place. <laughs> Final Fantasy VII... I don't think the Final Fantasy VII remake is going to be out until like 2018. Yeah, I don't think so either. They're going to miss that 20th anniversary. That's going to suck if they do. Actually, the uh, 20th anniversary in Japan is like December of 90, uh, 96, so that's like gives them a year, basically. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah, that's definitely not happening. So it sounds like they outsourced it, so 
Like, my understanding is that they've outsourced a good chunk of it, which is what Square Enix kind of does these days. So, yeah. and, and if Nomura is indeed kind of a figurehead figure, figurehead figure, um, <laughs> it will actually, I don't know, maybe it has a shot of being done within the next five years. Yeah, they, they outsource things to people who used to work for them. It's very funny. Yeah, I mean, Square Enix, ex-Square Enix developers are everywhere in Japan. They're all becoming indie devs now. Mm-hmm. I know. They all seem to be doing quite well for themselves, too. Indeed. Alright, so I think that this is the end of our podcast, but Steve, really quickly, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on the Twitter at a tweeting twit, and I am going to be trying to finally post some writing to, uh, generic domain dot name and bob oh boy uh you can find me on us gamer obviously i also do the classic gaming podcast retronauts which you can also find on us gamer and if you listen to episode 26 we did a whole episode about rpg battle systems um i also write for something awful occasionally and i have a new chronological simpsons podcast called talking simpsons go to patreon.com slash laser time to find out more about that I'll listen to that. I love The Simpsons. Five bucks a month, cat. Oh, man. That's what it takes to hear my Simpsons opinions. I don't want to spend money. Well, content ain't free, but it wants to be. Yeah. You know, paywalls are unethical. <laughs> I mean, it's last I heard, like, the only thing that writers should be doing is they should be writing for the love of the game. And they shouldn't be taking any money at all because food is overrated. I'm teaching my body how to uh, learn photosynthesis so I can just sit outside and not have to eat. In any case, um, and if you check out the website, you may notice that we're doing the top 15 games since 2000, and we actually had an RPG just yesterday as we are recording this episode. That was Persona 4 at number 5, which um, Bob and I both had nice things to say about it, um, so it kind of ties in with all of our love for Persona 4 in this episode, so go check that out, and uh, we'll probably have a segment in the next episode in which we kind of cover the RPGs that were mentioned on that list and maybe a couple more that maybe should have made the list but did not. So look forward to that as well. In any case, I've been Cat Bailey and for Bob and for Steve, thanks for dropping by and we'll see you next time. Happy adventuring. Yeah.